You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Light Kick is Live. It is Tuesday night, September 14th, Year of Our Lord, 2021. It's Tuesday, which means it's moving day. And at Augusta National, that means something totally different than it does around here. It means it's time to predict week three. They're telling you already. It's spit all over the place. You see that, Jesse? We're live. Roll with it. They are telling you. And by they, I mean the casuals. We have trademarked that phrase. The casuals are telling you, as if they've gotten amnesia from last Saturday, This is going to be a sleeper Saturday. Yeah, you got a couple of big games, but underneath that, not all that much. Ignore them entirely. Just dismiss them. You know what happens when they tell you it's going to be a slow Saturday. So tonight, we're going to break down Auburn-Penn State. That's the game we'll be at this Saturday. We're going to break down Alabama-Florida. That's going to be a big one, too. That is on the family of networks here on CBS. There is a major job opening that we... Maybe expected, but not quite so suddenly, and I have intentionally waited to give you my opinion on this until tonight, which is normally the case. I don't, I don't, um, if you've noticed, and some of you have, I don't feel the need to, to run to Twitter and, you know, put a video up of myself every time something happens. We've always got a show no further than 24, 48 hours away. We will discuss it. You don't always have to be first to put something out there. So we're going to discuss it tonight, and I want to give you a little bit of context about the USC job and about who could be a candidate, but I'm not putting out a hot board tonight. What I want to do is ask some deeper questions about USC. And if you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, or you live in, uh, here we go again, Pocatello, Idaho, I want answers from you, even if you're not a Southern Cal fan. We are going to add a best bet onto the Ramen Noodle Express tonight. We are going to have a brand new JP poll, and trust me when I tell you there is some big movement there. Also, big movement coming, I think, at Ohio State, The other night when we were doing the Oregon-Ohio State breakdown, I told you there have got to be defensive staff changes there, and I don't think Ryan Day is going to wait till the end of the year. Well, based on some quotes we got out of RD, well, you can call him RD. I'm going to call him Ryan Day today. I think changes either are coming or they've already happened. So as always, we've got a jam-packed show, but I want to bring your attention to something very special, and it's very important. We've got an announcement, good old-fashioned announcement here. You remember the other night? When uh, we threw out the challenge and we knew college game day was going to be at Iowa State when we were going to be there, and we didn't get picked to be the guest picker, which is not something we were aiming for. I'm just messing around when I say that, kind of. But I did tell you, hey, you know what? It's going to be a great opportunity. we got a huge fan base at Iowa State, and that was confirmed by the dozens and dozens of you I took pictures with and met. Someone get us on air. Someone get Late Kick or a Pate State Freights logo on air. And there I am in my hotel room about to leave in Des Moines and the the iJosh blows up and you're saying, turn to ESPN, look at what's happening. And there it is. But we didn't have a name. And I put it out on Twitter. Come bring him to me. Bring this person to me. And I waited for 24 hours, nothing. Well, then just after the show, I got an email and it was from Calvin Marks, Iowa class of 2023 business major. And he said, that was me. And if you're watching right now, you're seeing evidence because I had to have evidence. You got to show me, you got to prove with a picture that it was you. Well, Calvin went above and beyond and he proved it. Now, what does all this mean? Well, you can do it for love of the game or love of the show, but no, there's something a lot more tangible on the line. So I want to tell you right now, 
Obviously, it's in the middle of college football season, but I want to tell you right now, Calvin's going to get something. It is a piece of hardware. It is something brand new. We are still developing it as we speak. We're having it made. It's going to be unique, and I'm going to give one to anyone out there who gets our brand national notoriety. It could be what Calvin did. It could be any of a number of things. Don't break the law. Misdemeanors only, at most, misdemeanors only. Don't be breaking the law. Uh, don't be doing anything overly stupid. But if you get Late Kick or that Pate State logo, national airtime anywhere, you're getting one of these. And by one of these, I mean something that you can hold in your hand that I'm going to be able to show you in person, well, at least on the show, very, very soon. It's got a great name to it. I've already told a couple of people here they love the name. They love the concept. You will love the concept. There are a few truths in an uncertain world, but I'm telling you, you will love this. And all you got to do is get that brand out there. So let's dive into the show tonight. I do want to also say, uh, we, you know, we got a number of coaching staffs that watch the show. Cranston West, the Falcons up in Cranston, Rhode Island. I know those guys are watching tonight. They are grinding away, getting the game plan ready. You've got the usual challenges that you have during a football season, but they I'm told, always take a little time, turn the volume up and watch the show. So from us to that entire Falcon staff, thanks so much for watching. And for all the coaching staffs out there that watch, I get DMs constantly. A lot of you choose to watch us on the elliptical at 5 o'clock in the morning, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much. All right, let's dive in because we have got a loaded show and we've got game predictions to make. And we're going to start with the game that we're going to be at Saturday, Auburn at Penn State, the Nittany Lions, the fighting Jesse Myers, if you will, favored by six points or four and a half points. It's all over the place. But the late kick renaissance tour, as you see on the screen, is headed into town. This is a Saturday night game. It's 730 Eastern. It's on ABC. I think we need to do something here. I think we need to eliminate the fringes from both sides of the conversation. As is usually the case when you're building up to a big game, if you go to an Auburn radio station or you go to a Nittany Lions message board, you're going to read some fringe opinions. And a lot of the fringe opinions sound something like this. Maybe you're comparing the quarterbacks or you're comparing the offensive line or the running back stables or just the overall talent rosters. Anyone who's saying any of these position units or overall rosters is better and it's not even close, just dismiss that. Because everything's going to be close in this game. Everything is close in this game. The only decided advantage, the over, well, really the only overwhelming advantage, period, that either team is going to enjoy here is home field advantage. We have baked, I want to say, 4.75 points of home field into our model's number. It's one of the highest overall home field grades that we ever give. Uh, that is bumped up about three-quarters of a point based on a normal year, even in this setting wide out at night, but it matters. Home field matters in college football way more than the NFL, and it's really going to matter here. So it is fair if you want to tell me Auburn goes into this at a disadvantage. That's the default setting because you have to overcome those external factors, and they will be immense. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, you know what that whiteout environment's about. If you're watching, you're seeing right now. It's as an insane an atmosphere as you're going to experience on the face of the college football planet. And I've been to LSU at night. I've been to all these big stadiums in the South. I have not been able to experience what you're watching right now or what you're listening to me describe if you're listening on pod. We're looking forward to this on Saturday night. So Brian Harson at Auburn, a big challenge here. But it's a big challenge to be a head coach at a major program either way. What is the first thing that when you take over a job, when Brian Harson came into Auburn and he took over, he had to do one thing before anything else. After you do that introductory press conference, 
you got to do a healthy inventory, a self-scout, if you will. You got to know what you have. You're not looking at your opponents. You don't even know who you are yet. So you got to do a healthy inventory of your program. You learn what you got. You learn what you don't have and what you need down the road. But you got to know strengths and weaknesses because you don't. They don't give you five years. You're going to have to play the season that fall, and then you got to game plan accordingly. So they go into this game on the road at Penn State, and a a simple Auburn self-scout right now by that coaching staff would indicate, and I think it's fair to say it, you cannot trust Bo Nix on the road to this point in his career in these kinds of environments. And there have only been a few of them. I'm going to grant you that. I was at the last one. I was on the field in Gainesville when they tried to go in there and they tried to compete with Florida, and they never gave themselves a great shot because Bo Nix at quarterback did not give them a great shot. Now, that offensive line didn't help him. It was not a solely Bo Nix problem, but you know that's, that was an afternoon that I think is burned in a lot of Auburn fans' minds. So if Brian Harson and his staff have done a healthy self-scout, they have to have some trepidation, and then you game plan accordingly. If that's a weakness, that doesn't mean you wave the white flag. It would blend in Saturday night anyway, so it's no use. You just game plan accordingly. And so an Auburn-Penn State scout would indicate even with that relative weakness, we may still be able to win this game because we may, we may be able to two-to-one run-to-pass ratio our way to a fourth-quarter competitive ball game. The important data point here for Auburn is the Penn State-Wisconsin game. It was the first game of the year. It was one of the first big kickoffs on that Saturday. You all remember it. You need to go back and you need to dive into that one if you've already forgotten it. Because here were the edges. Penn State beat Wisconsin that day. I think 16 to 10 was the final. 29 to 11, first down edge. Not for Penn State, for Wisconsin. 29 to 11. How about 365 to 297 yardage edge? Not for Penn State, for Wisconsin, the losing team. Just because our buddy Parker will want to bite my head off, I'm going to tell you about time of possession in that game. 43 to 17 in favor of Wisconsin. I love time of possession. Love it. May not mean anything, but I love it. 85 to 51 total plays, edge Wisconsin. Uh, But there was one category that Wisconsin fell short in, and that was turnovers. And they were minus three, and that was the difference in the game. The reason I'm bringing these numbers up is not to replay that game. The reason I'm bringing those numbers up is because Brian Harson and his staff, if they look at that, they could reasonably say, hold up a second. You're telling me we don't have to throw for 450 yards here. We don't have to precision execute through the air. We just have to be able to do something along the lines of this. We can do this. I mean, we got a better tailback than anyone Wisconsin has in Tank Bigsby, and that's accurate. We can do this. And so it's not insurmountable. That's why this number is single digits. It's inside a touchdown. Uh, Penn State's a very good team. You're going to see in the JP poll a little bit later just how good I think they are. Uh, But there's certainly vulnerability here, and this is not a team built to get a ton of margin on you unless you hand them the ball more than they deserve to have it, or in other words, turnovers. And so with that in mind, I think the key to this thing is Bo Nix road versus home. Yes, that's going to be talked about ad nauseum, and it should be. And you've seen the splits floating around. If you haven't, Jesse will eventually show you a slider of it. I think I kind of went out of order. But aside from Bo Nix, Another big-time key in this game is which one of these run games can force the other offensive coordinator to blink. 
Because I don't think that we run a great big risk of seeing anyone bomb away early in this thing. I know every time you go into a game and you expect it to be called very conservatively and you expect a rock fight and you expect sledgehammer mode in both ways, that you think, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll come out ultra aggressive. Maybe we'll throw the ball a lot on first down. Sometimes that's true. I really don't think it's the case here. If it is, you know what kind of passes we're looking at. And it's not ripping them 15 yards, far hash outs over the middle or anything like that. That's not happening. What we will see is we'll see a team in Penn State trust their stable of running backs. We'll see Auburn trust Tank Bigsby. You need to also remember Bo Nix isn't a 5-4-40 guy. He can run too. And then we're going to see which ground game puts some early points on the board and which side therefore gets a little bit rattled and then all of a sudden realizes, uh-oh, we got to catch up. We got to throw the ball a little bit because Auburn wants their secondary to be a difference in this game. Well, as long as they're running at two to one ratio at you, doesn't really matter. Penn State wants that crowd to be in the game. Well, as long as they're running at two one ratio, then your edge rushers don't really matter all that much. And that play clock doesn't really matter all that much. And communication doesn't matter as much. And to be honest with you, an effective ground game, first and 10, second, five, third and one, move the chains, it has the tendency to take even the most raucous crowds out of the game. But if you're having to play from behind, all of a sudden the script kind of flips a little bit for either side, really. So let's take a look at what the Vegas line is currently. And then let's take a look at what the late kick model thinks. I spoiled this a little bit earlier in the week because our model really liked the game and I already moved on it when it was at Penn State minus four and a half. So right now, the Caesars line, uh, the Vegas line is Penn State minus six. Our model is over a touchdown. It is Penn State minus seven and a half. And I'm going to tell you really what that boils down to. Again, we are giving, I want to say 4.5 to 4.75 points for home field here. And what that was telling me early in the week is if we subtract that, the initial line, the one that we bet, the one that I handed out for the Ramen Noodle Express would indicate minus that home field, these are dead even teams. I don't believe that to be the case. That's what that line was telling me. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe Penn State is a better team, not by a country mile, but I believe they are the better team. So um, upsets happen all the time. How would the upset happen here? And I had to ask myself, what do I think is more likely? Do I think it's more likely that Bo Nix goes on the road and does something that he hasn't shown me the ability to do, or is it more likely that Penn State is just a little bit better and has a few margins here and there, and they just outlast Auburn, hard-fought game, four-quarter game, and you know they win at something like 26 to 20, 26 to 17, somewhere in there. I think the latter is the more likely. And so I'm going to go with Penn State to win, and I'm also going to go with Penn State to cover, and we got it earlier in the week at four and a half, and that is a Ramen Noodle Express pick, which we normally don't do in our game breakdowns, but in this case, it just happened to coincide. So we will take Penn State to win and Penn State to cover. So I pull into the parking lot today. This has nothing to do with Auburn or Penn State, but I pull in the parking lot today, and I had an email from our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors, and you guys are never going to guess what they said. They said, we just wanted to tell you we love what's going on on the show. And I kind of knew what they were talking about, but I played ignorant is an easy role for me to play. And I said, whatever do you mean? And they were talking about the fact that you guys keep tagging them on Twitter or Instagram when you buy something from Academy, or some of you have been, I don't even know how you found the email address. I never put anything past you guys, but some of you have been just flat out showing them, hey, here's a picture of me buying a shirt or grill or whatever you guys are buying. I'm doing it because you're on late kick. Uh, We love it. They love it. They want me to tell you they love it. And I love that they love it. 
So with that in mind, what do you think about this Saturday? I know a ton of you, like 150 or 200,000 of you, are going to be in State College, Pennsylvania, along with myself. I know that a lot of you, for example, are going to be down in Gainesville. We're about to break that game down. And I know the tailgate scenes are going to be incredible there and just across the entire landscape of college football. And when you look across that landscape, you see an entire ocean of canopies. And what's best is if you don't have a ton of wind, if it's cool enough, you don't need the breeze. And that haze of grill smoke, it just kind of floats like a little ceiling about 15 yards or so above the canopy of trees. And so you can smell all kind of different sorts of foods. Everything that is tangible in nature about this tailgate scene is available at Academy Sports and Outdoors. The grills are there. The canopies are there. Not of trees, but the actual tent canopy. But all kinds of merchandise that you need. Everything, some in some cases you don't even know you need, is available at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And so a lot of you have already been making your stops there. And I would encourage you to continue. But I know some of you out there are thinking this very thing. I like the show or I wouldn't be watching. And I would like to support their partners, but I don't know where an Academy Sports and Outdoors is in my neighborhood or in my city. I do. It's right here. Or it's right here. And I'm pointing to the laptop and the iJosh, or in your case, an iPhone. Uh, Academy.com. That's all you need. You got a doorstep? Yes, they can ship to you then. Academy.com. Anything and everything you need. They are the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12, of the SEC, and of Late Kick. So make sure you give our friends at Academy, the very ones who emailed us thanks today, the opportunity to make your tailgating experience complete. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As I mentioned, there is a fairly big contest being held in Gainesville, FLA, this SAT. You know, Colin, sometimes you just try and get too cute and you sound stupid. I don't stupid. 
I'm going to redo that whole thing. All right, here we go. Three, two, <laughs> ignore that it's live. We, we redo stuff sometimes for the cut up. Uh, three, two, one. So Bama travels to Gainesville Saturday. They are over a two-touchdown favorite. It is a Saturday, 3.30 Eastern time kickoff on CBS. What is the biggest story as it pertains to this game? What's the biggest story you have heard personally over the last couple of weeks? I think most people are looking at the Alabama-Florida game, whether you're a Florida fan, a Bama fan, or totally agnostic. And if I were to ask you what's the biggest storyline, if you will, coming into this, you would say the Florida quarterback situation. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I think that is vastly overshadowing something else that matters here. And that's for two weeks now, Nick Saban has been telegraphing to you that he is not totally thrilled with where his team is. You're ignoring it as you're prone to do when they're blowing folks out. They blew Miami out. uh, They took care of Mercer, no problem. But there have been times before where they've been blowing folks out and Nick Saban cannot get anyone's attention, try as he might, because it takes a loss, unfortunately, sometimes to get his team's attention. He's doing that again. He is telling you, even though they're good, I think they're the best team in the country right now, but number one is relative. Because I ran it through a model, and here's what number one right now means. If I were to put the 2020 Alabama team on the field with this current team, we would have the 2020 Alabama team favored by 11.5 points. So yeah, they're both number one in their respective years. This team trails significantly where that last year's team left off. And so they're vulnerable is what I'm telling you. And they're vulnerable and they're not playing exactly to the standard he wants. That's what he's trying to tell you. But as has been the case with Bama in years past, it takes them tasting their own blood and you seeing them taste their own blood in a lot of cases for you to believe they're anything other than this Death Star that's marching towards another national championship in which they will just beat everyone by four touchdowns. So having said all that, can Florida beat them? Well, remember the formula on this show, at least, if we're going to break down a game We think there is a chance either team can win. And when we have these fat spreads like this, what we try and do is not just an equal opportunity breakdown. What we try and do is ask ourselves, could the upset happen? If we think the answer is even 5 or 10% chance, yes, which we do, how would it happen? So how would Florida beat Alabama here? Because I think Alabama is ripe to be had. Early in the season right now, if they face the right team, they're ripe to be had, or at least pushed to the very brink. How would it happen, and is Florida that team? Florida has to take advantage, the first thing they would have to do, is take advantage of some relative pass protection issues, especially on the right side of this Alabama offensive line. It's all they're talking about. Inside Alabama Nation, that's all they're talking about right now. Uh, Well, it's one of the main things they're talking about. Now, again, so far, you don't maybe take it as seriously because it hasn't victimized them. They've still been able to win. But that doesn't mean it can't. So you look at Florida so far this year, I want to say it's seven sacks, 13 tackles for loss, they don't just rely on one or two guys. They've got several guys. They got Zach Carter. They got Moon. They got a, I mean, I got a whole list of them. Cox, Bogle, uh, Truesdale's there, Dexter. They got guys they can depend on. So they have an entire wave and a couple of waves, really, of dependable pass rushers, which is different than in the past where you may go into an Alabama game and there's one or two guys. They can neutralize one or two guys. They're always good enough to do that. But if you can come at them with several different threats, then maybe that's a little bit different. And so that's part one of what Florida would have to do here. And by doing that, you're you're ultimately trying to harass the quarterback and you're just affecting him. It doesn't have to be sacks, but you have to affect a young quarterback enough to where your crowd does its job and then your defense does its job and you force some mistakes and you get some more possessions. Or at the very least, you get some better field position to where you're not constantly backed up in the shadow of your own goalpost. You also 
I think look at the Florida quarterback situation, and it's totally fair to spend a majority of your time this week if you want to talking about this. You got Emory Jones in Preview Magazine culture. You would be led to believe he's the wire-to-wire starter. We started telling you early August, once you started to see it become clear in the Florida fall camp that Anthony Richardson was the real deal, we started to tell you it's going to be fun to watch because eventually that guy's going to get on the field and he's going to do what he does and you're not going to be able to deny it anymore. Well, that's happened a couple of times, and it doesn't help Emory Jones that it has coincided with subpar play from him. There are no two ways to put that. There are some theories amongst Florida fans about why that is. You know, there are some people who would lead you to believe that, well, you know, maybe Mullen knows what he can do, and he's using these games to work on what Emory needs to improve on. Sometimes I think folks overthink the room on that, but even if that's the case, it's not like one guy is shining and the backup is also shining. It's one guy struggling and the backup keeps putting jaws on the ground when he comes in. Well, that has turned into fans and media questioning Dan Mullen about why Anthony Richardson isn't his starter. And Dan Mullen has been the guy who's come back and said, no, Emory's our starter. And what he's really telling him is what you're seeing is only a small slice of the entire pie. You're seeing Anthony Richardson do some things against inferior athletes. I'm wanting to put someone in who understands my entire offense and has the ability to process things real time. And these are not words coming out of Dan Mullen's mouth, but if you read between the lines, he's telling you, I don't trust him to run my entire offense. Having said that, we also know another thing about Dan Mullen. He's not always forthcoming with the media. He's like I would be. So I'm not blaming him. If I were a head coach, I play games with us all the time. And uh, so Dan Mullen could think very well right in line with what you think, and he could just be sandbagging. Anything's on the table. But what I am saying is it's possible that Anthony Richardson takes 80% of the snap Saturday. It's possible he takes 20% of the snap Saturday. But ultimately, it is in Emory Jones' hands. Because if Emory Jones does not struggle, Emory Jones is not really coming off the field for any significant period of time. If he does, then everything's in play. But ultimately, he still controls it. Alabama's ripe, I think, to be pushed right now. Nick Saban is telegraphing it to you. They are ripe to be pushed, but here's what it takes to do it. And I'm about to show you what our model thinks about this game in just a second. It takes quarterback precision, especially on third down passing. Uh, There are folks out there, there are a dime a dozen who will tell you, well, you know those mobile quarterbacks. Now, Nick Saban struggles with those mobile quarterbacks. Uh, There are quarterbacks who can run that Alabama has turned into greasy spots on the field. It's not mobility. It's the ability to throw the ball. And if you're running while you do it, then so be it, more power to you. But it's precision. When you go back and watch the games they've lost, there are four or five or six throws that you look at all the way back to the days of Steven Garcia and extending all the way through modern day. They hadn't lost very many games. But when they lose, you watch and you say, wow, whoa, oh my, you just got to tip your cap to that receiver. Man, that quarterback's never going to make that kind of throw again. That's the effort it takes. So I got to ask myself, Is there a quarterback on this roster, Richardson or Emory Jones, that can consistently do that all afternoon? That's the first thing. The second thing is, can you be physical enough versus Alabama? Maybe I'm not so much looking interior. I'm looking at the kind of things that I thought Miami would try and do a little bit more in week one. And that's get on the perimeter. It's find a place where you think you have some favorable physical matchups. Now, I don't think this is going to work out for Florida, but I would watch it nonetheless. Can you do that? Because that's also in the 20, what was it, the 2018 or 2019 Iron Bowl. Remember being on the field for that one in Auburn and Malzahn, they went out wide. 
uh, basically extensions of the run game. They went quick passes to wide receivers and letting those guys stalk block out there five or six times in a row, and Bama had no answer for it. Auburn ended up winning that game. I think that Bama defense is a little bit different caliber right now, but it is something you probably have to try. Third thing is Florida's got to execute in the red zone. And the fourth thing is they got to sustain for four quarters. If a team can do that, you can beat Alabama. You can push them. Let me put it that way. You can push Alabama into the fourth quarter. I don't know that Florida's that team right now. So, Jesse, let's take a look at what the model thinks. Let's take a look at what the Vegas number is right now because uh, I'm going to pull possibly a little manual override here. So the Vegas number currently, and this has moved kind of throughout the day, I think it hit 15, but it's 14 and a half right now. Alabama favored by 14 and a half. Our model's right there with it. We got Alabama minus 14. Uh, I switched on this about two hours ago, full disclosure, because I have that feeling in listening to Nick Saban. I know how to interpret him, and he is telling you we're a little bit more vulnerable than you think we are, and I wish more people around here would realize it. That's what he's telling you. And so anytime that's the case, and they're laying multiple scores on the road, one of the most hostile places those dudes will ever play on that roster, you tend to want to be the guy who jumps on the dog. But I still look at that list of what it takes, and I just don't know that Florida's the team that can execute that. And what I think is going to happen is I think there's going to be a really spirited battle here, but I think what's going to happen is there'll be a time in the second or third quarter maybe where you're looking and you're saying, I wish I would have taken Florida and the points. And you look up at the end, and it's like 44 to 21 or 44 to 20, and you're saying, wow, Bama ended up covering, and they made it look like a blowout, but this didn't feel like a blowout when I was watching the game. That's the kind of final I think you'll see Saturday. A struggle and then a Bama pull away and an Alabama win and an Alabama cover. That's where we're going with this one. Alabama to win, Alabama to cover. I uh, cannot say I feel overly confident in that one because there a, there's a higher turnover risk than there usually would be. And those, ugh, those turnovers, they're nasty. We got some turnover out west, and it's in the coaching department. Clay Helton is out as the head coach at USC. That you already know. Uh, we were pretty adamant that this was coming the other night. I never do segments like that. And so when I do, I'm very, very sure of something. And it's not like they had called me in advance and let me know, but had a pretty good feeling that was coming. And it reminds me so much of 2016. It's LSU versus Auburn. And we're, we're there. We're in Jordan-Hare Stadium. We're covering the game. And it looks like LSU's just scored a walk-off touchdown. And, oh, my goodness, place goes crazy. We're down there in the LSU corner. And then there's replay. And then replay overturns it. And then Jordan-Hare Stadium goes crazy because Auburn's won the game. There was no time left on the clock. And then Les Miles, the post-game scene was surreal. I've told this story before. I go up the tunnel. I have a feeling he's going to get fired. I go up the tunnel. Joe Oliva, at the time, the AD at LSU was there. He's standing outside the LSU locker room. No one's speaking to each other. Uh, Les Miles, very somber. He looked like he's just off in a trance somewhere. He walks up, goes in the locker room. They do their post-game stuff. He comes back out with his wife. He goes back out on the field. It's empty at that point. Stadium's empty. And he's filming his post-game show. His wife has her back to him, and she's leaned up against one of the wrought iron gates there that surround the field at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Crazy. Really weird to experience that. But the big takeaway when they did later fire Les Miles that week was not, I can't believe he got fired. It was just as is the case with Clay Helton right now. The same as anyone with a reasonable head on their shoulders is thinking, why'd they fire him two games into the season? What is it you saw so far this year that you didn't already know about Clay Helton? It was the same with Les Miles that year. There was nothing new that was learned about Les Miles in the first four weeks of 2016 that you didn't already know about the guy long before then. 
So that is a conversation that can be had. But for the purposes of where we're moving forward, I think we can table it for just a second. But it is valid to make that point. So what's possible at USC? Kind of touched on this the other night. Everything's possible at USC. It is hard, as I was talking about, to explain to a 15-year-old or 16 or 17 high school kids, recruits, it's hard to explain to them what life was like in the early to mid-2000s, which is not that long ago, but to them, it's an entire lifetime ago. It's hard to explain to someone who has never experienced Southern Cal at full volume what it's like when Southern Cal runs college football. There was a time in the early to mid-2000s, the Pete Carroll era, where not only did you not want to play USC, you really got scared that they were going to totally embarrass you as a program and set you back as a program. And it it was with good reason. There was a lot of merit behind that reputation because they did it. And they were the most feared program in America. And here's the other fun part. The reason I laugh at all these excuses that are made in the modern day about the lack of enthusiasm on the West Coast. The Coliseum was full and those beaches were out there and the nightlife was out there and the Hollywood scene and the entire LA entertainment scene was out there. All the stuff they tell you is distracting. These days it was already there. No one cared. The hottest ticket in town was to be on the sideline at the Coliseum on a Saturday night or a Saturday afternoon. You had folks who couldn't even spell. uh, They couldn't tell you four starters on the team, but they were there because that was where the place to be was. And the Coliseum would be packed. And it could be again. It's like James Earl Jones. Everything it once was and could be again. Well, that's USC. Like his, his speech in Field of Dreams, you can make it about USC too. However, that's what's possible. I also think some other context here is very important, and that is to understand what has changed. What is USC as a job? It's still a premier job. It's still a very sought-after job. It's just that the room's a little more crowded. Back then, if you were to tell someone Pete Carroll's about to leave uh, and you looked around the country, you would say, what other jobs are more coveted than USC? And you would have been able to easily count them on one hand and not even fill up the hand. Well, these days... There are, I got, I got five fingers on my hand, I don't know about you, there are that many programs in the SEC that are more coveted by a lot of people than the Southern Cal job. If you don't believe me, we'll ask some of them because that's where I got the opinion from. But number two, here's what I was told by someone in the agent world when this news broke because I wanted to know about a timeline. Everyone's putting their hot board out. Everyone's putting out their list of candidates. And so naturally you want to know Well, they've made the move away from Clay Helton. So after you fire a coach, naturally, the next question is, how long is it going to take to get a new guy in here? And where is he going to come from? Well, I was told by someone in that agent world, pump the brakes. You you can go ahead and take your time. I know you have a show to do. Go ahead and take your time. You can go ahead and talk about matchups and predictions. This isn't going to happen for a while. And I'm going to tell you why. There is a widely held belief in our industry, this is the agent talking, that the LSU job is going to come open. This is his opinion. This is not me talking, so direct your hate mail elsewhere. And no one in our world and no one in the coaching world worth their salt is going to make a move before we understand how the market's going to react if and when that LSU job comes open. That's part one. So even if you don't want the LSU job, you sit back and wait because you leverage more money out of USC and it's just better for more jobs to be open if you're a candidate. But part B is there are a ton of people who would want that LSU job over the USC job. And we would not have said that in the early 2000s. And that is what has changed. USC is still a premier job. But LSU, Texas A&M, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, all these jobs are more coveted today for the average available candidate than the USC job is. 
that SEC sticker already means a lot. In the next 10 to 15 years of this sport's existence, it will mean infinitely more. And so the health of that conference and the TV, all the TV money, you, I don't have to explain it to you. You know what it's, what it's about. Uh, you got more competition is what I'm saying. So Georgia and Alabama and Florida, they're not coming open. LSU may come open. So that's another dynamic to consider. But what needs to happen? Well, we got to hire a guy. I got that. What, what, who do you need to hire? The right candidate. Well, you're right about that. But let's hold off just a second, if we can. This is fresh news. It's only been 48 hours or so. Let's ask ourselves, what does the right candidate at USC look like? What does it feel like? And I think sometimes programs go about this backwards. I think sometimes when there's a job opening, programs and athletic departments, they immediately hire search firms to do the job they're supposed to do. And then they compile a list of candidates, and what we're looking at is we're looking at wins and losses, and we're looking at average recruiting rankings, and we're looking at a resume, and there's no life on it. There's no personality on it. There's no culture on it. The intangibles, for instance, that Sam Pittman is leveraging in order to win at Arkansas, we're not even considering in a lot of cases. I hope Southern Cal plays this differently. I hope before Southern Cal ever goes out and finds Luke Fickle or find any of these number of names that are being thrown around, what I hope they can do is they can look in the mirror and they can answer this question. What is USC? What is Southern Cal? Because the answer is that the, the blank that you fill in there is totally different than the blank you would fill in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or you would fill in Columbus, Ohio. That's culture. It's totally different. That's one of the beautiful things about this sport. But that also means some candidates are more uniquely cut out for your job than others are. It's not always how much they've won in one particular location. Maybe they were more cut out for that place than they were for you. How many times have you seen in the past a guy win at one place and then he gets what we think to be a promotion, a better job, and he doesn't win and you just can't figure out why? Why is this guy not winning? It looked like a grand slam hire. He probably wasn't a culture fit. That's probably what it was. So USC, before they go out and they hire anyone, and before they even compile a list of candidates, what I hope, if they're doing things right, is they can accurately answer the question, what is USC? And then once they filled that blank in, then you start to cast your net. And you got to define the principles and values and characteristics. What are those intangibles and tangibles that you're looking for in a person? And then you start to compile that list, and you never go to a single website, you never open a single newspaper, you never turn on a single podcast or talk radio show and listen to anyone else's opinion. You define your characteristics, and then you go compile the list of candidates, and you interview them, and you let the chips fall where they may. But in order to do that, you got to have decision makers in the room that can answer the question that started all this, and that is, what is USC? The biggest fear for any Trojan fan right now is the folks running the ship out there don't know the answer to that question. The fan base does. The fan base always knows the answer. Sometimes you got people that are so far detached from the ground level where the real fans live that they can't answer. And as a result, they are ill-qualified to make the decisions that they are tasked with making. So this is hypothetical. I'm not telling you this is my belief about where the USC job search is going. I'm telling you I hope it goes the right way. Monitor this. We will obviously be talking about this a lot. What did I, uh, oh, oh, hey, here's one more point. Remember, you don't get money and you don't get trophies for winning press conferences. Yes, when you're interviewing a candidate, please don't think about how cool the press conference will be. Please don't do that. Uh, that is a one-way ticket out the door for you and your coach. Earlier today, shifting gears here, 
Earlier today, Ryan Day had a press conference, the Ohio State head coach, as he normally would be one to do on Tuesday afternoon, and he said a lot of interesting things, a lot of things that kind of coincided with what we expect. And so let's take you back. They suffered, they being Ohio State, a very stinging loss. It was a, very, it was a, it was a bad Saturday in Columbus. And it's not necessarily that they lost. Sometimes good teams lose. It's that when you look back on it, they never really felt like they gave themselves a fair chance to win, and that can't be tolerated. And so Sunday, I came on this show, and I said what I think is very obvious. Defensive staff changes are going to have to happen there, and I didn't really mean at the end of the year. Ryan Day, I think, agrees with that. He probably didn't even need to wait and hear me say it, if you want me to be honest with you. But Ryan Day does not appear to be waiting. So today... The normal standard procedure would be Ryan Day meets with the media, assistant coaches meet with the media, and some players. Today it was the head man and the head man alone. Ryan Day met with the media, and he did not mince words. A few of the many quotable takeaways from Ryan Day's press conference today. They asked him about the biggest issue right now facing Ohio State. He said, well, it's a bit of a pattern. We took a long, hard look the last 48 hours at everything that's going on. We're certainly going to make some adjustments, not only in how we are attacking opposing offenses, but also structurally in how we're doing day-to-day operations. They then asked what his response is to the critical breakdowns defensively the other day. He said, well, you want to act, but you don't want to overreact. You have to make sure you do things the right way and let people do their job. But when it gets to a certain point, you have to get things fixed. That's what we're going to do. They also asked him straight up, about Kerry Combs, who is the current defensive coordinator there. He said, I'd rather not share those conversations. I bet he wouldn't. He said, but when you look at the results from the past couple of games and look at the end of last year, this is not what we expect. This is not our expectation. That's all part of looking at how we need to move forward with this thing. Lastly, when asked directly if Kerry Combs, defensive coordinator, will be calling plays this week, Ryan Day's response was, I'm not getting into specifics. Allow me to translate. No, he won't. No, because uh, the default there is always, well, yeah, he's my defensive coordinator. So if it's anything other than yes, the answer is probably no. Uh, I'll tell you what it translates into. He even used the word disappointed today, but it translates into it sucks that I can't trust the guys I hired right now. But we also know what else that translates into, and this is a tough pill to swallow for Ryan Day. It means I hired the wrong guys. And there's a thing that's happening right now with Ryan Day that has to happen with every coach. It's called a lesson you got to learn a lot of them in life, whether you're a mechanic or a head football coach. You're going to learn hard lessons. There is no easy way around it. Uh, and th- there's also no microwave approach. You don't get to speed it up. A lot of people have sped the trajectory of their career advancement up. Like, for instance, Ryan Day or Kirby Smart or Lincoln Riley. These guys are first-time head coaches at some of the most premier programs on the face of the earth. That doesn't mean that just because they got those jobs way earlier than you would have in 1984, that they all of a sudden are immune to having to learn the same lessons that the old school coaches had to learn. The difference is you got to learn it in front of the world at Ohio State, whereas Nick Saban learned his lessons at what Toledo or wherever he was way out of the spotlight, long before he was ever even at Michigan State, much less LSU and Alabama. All the big-time coaches have to learn. And right now, Ryan Day is learning about proper approaches in hiring practice, and he knows he whiffed. He whiffed on Kerry Combs. Kerry Combs is a great guy, and he has a spot on the football staff, not as a defensive coordinator. I think Ryan Day is telling you that right here and right now. 
But from an operational standpoint, what he means when he's saying that is, I call the offense. He, this is not a CEO type. On game day, Ryan Day's calling the offense. He can't be wasting a second having to dip into defensive calls and huddles and get on the sideline and try and rectify stuff. He can't be doing that. It, it, if he were a guy who was, you know, headset on or off, doesn't really matter, I'm just overseeing things here, that's one thing. I mean, imagine asking your offensive coordinator to get involved with some defensive strategy over here. I don't care if you're the head coach or not. You don't have time to be doing that. But it's imperative, because you can't do that, that you hire folks you can trust and then let them be. Ryan Day hired someone that he cannot trust and let be right now. And that was the realization he's come to, and that's what he's talking about today in this press conference. It's a hard pill to swallow, but that is the biggest, I think, overlooked factor of the new age of coaching hires. The new age, for whatever reason, well, the reason's obvious. They're good. But for for obvious reasons, athletic directors and administrations, they have chosen to circumvent the old approach of let's find a guy who's cut his teeth and let's go find someone who's been a head coach at a couple stops. That's not the way they do it anymore, which is fine. I don't think Oklahoma regrets their hiring of Lincoln Riley. I don't think Ohio State regrets anything. I don't think Georgia regrets anything. But you also have to understand, you're going to see some stuff on a very grand scale that you used to not see head coaches learning. They used to learn it way before they were given the opportunity to coach on that grand a stage. So that's what's happening with Ohio State right now. Now, they got some games that are going to be off the national radar. Right now, if nothing were to change with them defensively, I would encourage you, in fact, let me pause that sentence. I would encourage you to go to 247sports.com. Our Blake Brockermeyer put together a really good feature today, and it's broken down in GIF form, which is just a, a small video clip of plays. And he put five or six of them in there to show you how fundamental the breakdowns were the other day. That's why I don't even worry about talent. Like a lot of people are questioning, is that Ohio State defense as talented as the recruiting rankings would indicate? It, independent of what your answer is there, that's not a talent issue. You go read that piece and you look at that feature, or if you just watch the game with your own eyes Saturday, those were far more fundamental issues. I don't really care how many stars or you do or do not have on your defense. Uh, that, that wasn't what the problem was for them Saturday. And so now we're going to look at them moving forward. And I'm telling you, if they don't get those kinds of fundamental situations rectified, there are more teams that could hang 30-plus on them. I know they may look inferior on a schedule, but when you got the kind of fundamental problems Ohio State's had defensively, there are a lot of teams out there that have no business scoring on you that'll end up scoring on you. So fingers crossed for our Buckeye fans, we get things rectified up there. All right, JP poll time. Uh, let's, so here's what we're going to do. Brand new week three edition of the JP poll out. As we normally do, we like to count it down 25 to 1, and we hurry through it. And so what I want to do is let's start at 25 because we have some new entrants into the poll. Uh, we have some teams that have dropped out. I can go ahead and spoil this for you. LSU is not in the top 25 this week. But UCF is. They're up six spots from last week. This is, by the way, a power rating, not a ranking. Don't care what your resume says. We only put this together based on forward-thinking, modeling, and approach of who we would favor against two on a neutral field today. UCF is at number 25. Kentucky. I don't know why the AP hates you guys, but we don't. We love you. And we have our big blue hearts wide open, and we have put Kentucky at 24. Well, the model did. I mean, it's not like we just did it out of charity. Uh, they're up eight spots. That's one of the biggest risers of the week. We've got from 23 to 21, Auburn, Miami, and Utah. 
Miami's kind of just sat there in the low to mid-20 range for us so far. All right, let's go top 20 here. Utah, very interesting. They lost. The model did not really punish them all that much for it. So TCU is down a couple spots. They're at number 20. I think the biggest riser of the week was Arkansas, and they're at 19. I want to stress, this is not a classic AP poll reaction where you just vault a team because they won impressively. Yes, Arkansas won impressively, but there is a very, very tightly compacted hodgepodge of teams to where Arkansas, if we just improved them two and three quarter points in a power rating, that's enough in this area of the poll to jump 10 or 11 spots. And that's what they did. North Carolina is at 18. UCLA is at 17. I want to tell you, we had a little error last week. So I had LSU at 20 and UCLA unranked last week. It was supposed to be inverted. We were supposed to have UCLA at 20 and LSU unranked. Uh, That was my bad. So we've rectified that. So UCLA, even though they didn't play, there they are now. They are in the poll. They were last week, really. They're at number 17. Iowa State drops eight. I don't want to talk about it. It's only going to make me angry, but they're at number 16. Top 15 time. Here we go. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish did not love what we saw the other day, nor did the model. They have dropped four spots. Uh, They are at number 15. Iowa is a big mover. They are at number 14. Our concern from a power rating forward-thinking, predictive standpoint is, can they continue to force turnovers to the degree they have? Open-ended question. We'll see. Uh, 13, Michigan. Good jump there. There is a very specific blueprint they're following. They are not going to be able to overpower teams that can throw the ball effectively, but there aren't a whole lot of those teams out there. So, you know, Michigan right now, I think justifiably so, at number 13. Wisconsin's at 12, unchanged. Florida is at 11. That almost gives us a top 10 matchup, by the way, with Bama and Florida. And now here we go. Speaking of the top 10, Texas A&M is down four. This is an adjustment that takes into account the quarterback situation. A&M's roster talent still has them in the top 10. Uh, It's going to be tough for them. A couple of weeks they play Arkansas. It's going to be tough for them. We like them to roll this week against New Mexico, so much so that we put them in the Ramen Noodle Express. Number nine is Ole Miss. We have had the Rebels in the top 15 since the inception of this poll this year. Number eight, Cincinnati. Number seven, we dropped Ohio State four spots. That is rare. This high in this poll, that is rare. And elsewhere, there have not been big moves inside the top seven or six. But we've got Ohio State there. Oregon is actually ahead of Ohio State. What hurts the Ducks and what would have had them higher is the loss of Justin Flo because we value him at around three-quarters of a point, which doesn't sound like much. But for an individual player rating, it's a lot. It's a, especially for a defensive player, it's a whole lot. So we got Oregon at number six. Top five, Penn State is all the way at number five, which even I can't believe, and we started him inside the top ten. Needless to say, the power rating model side of this would have a little bit of a drop-off from four to five. So four, three, two, one. It is Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama. Uh, there is a, about a four or five-point drop-off between number two and number three. And I'll tell you what this starts to have early shades of. It's way too soon to draw this conclusion, but I remember how 2011 started to take shape. And I remember how there were two SEC teams that just kept distancing themselves from the pack. And it was Bama and LSU in that year. Uh, Georgia and Alabama, as far as the early season, the first quarter of the season goes, they have that separation. They got about a five or six point separation right now over the rest of the field. I expect that gap to close but that's where it is right now. Uh, As I said, LSU out and Kentucky in. Also good to see Arkansas in. So there is some movement, and there is a lot of movement going on right now. 
Again, renaissance here means a whole lot of movement in the JP poll, and that's a good thing. So there's the final top 10. Again, if you're listening on pod, Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, Penn State, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. And now let's move on. As we close today's show, we cannot do it without mentioning our latest addition to the Ramen Noodle Express. So quickly, what I've already handed out, I've given you Texas A&M minus 25 and a half. The reason, guys, that it is so imperative to be following on Twitter and Instagram is because as soon as those lines post on Sunday, I put out our really, really early best bets. And I do it because by the time we go on air, even Sunday night, some of those numbers will have changed. Case in point, I released A&M at 25 and a half. By the time we got on air Sunday night, it was at 28 and a half. So we got Aggies minus 25 and a half. Kansas State plus two and a half at home against Nevada. We also have Penn State minus four and a half, and that is obviously at home against Auburn. That's the game we're going to be at. Uh, The latest addition here is Virginia Tech plus three at West Virginia. That is an early kickoff. I think that's a a 12 noon kickoff. Uh, The graphic there says minus three. This is Virginia Tech plus three. Hokies getting points. So in conclusion, the four we've handed out so far, A&M minus 25 and a half, Kansas State plus two and a half, Penn State minus four and a half, and Virginia Tech plus three. We will be making more moves. Make sure also that you are, I don't know how to phrase this, kind of hanging out late Friday night, around 11, 12 o'clock Eastern time for our super secret management can't know about it late night gambling chat on Instagram live. That's been really fun. And we hand out a lot of liens that we're not actually, you know, making official plays. So make sure you're following. That's the uh, grand theme of the story there. Thank you so much for watching tonight. we got a really lively live chat there. I just gave you guys some instructions. Uh, for Director Colin, for Jesse and Company in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening. We will see you Thursday. Until then, God bless. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV, the CBS Sports app, and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.